again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I'm Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Uh, we have a good show for you today, I think. Uh, both of us were at the quarterback introductions of the media event that they held this week. We'll get into all the quarterbacks that we talked to and uh, sort of our thoughts on that competition uh, we'll talk about the juicy opening day matchup in 2018 that was just announced this week. Uh, we'll get into uh, the, the extra contact contract details of uh, Justin Puente's uh, extension that have come out. And we'll talk a little bit about the North Carolina legislature and the, their attempt to strong arm the ACC, uh, what we think about that. And we'll end this thing with a little bit of Louis C.K. discussion because I don't get the guy, and I know I'm an outlier on that, but Andy's a big fan. And we'll, we'll take you to task for that. Yeah, at we'll, that point. we'll figure out what I'm missing with him. Okay, let's start with the, the most recent news of the week. Hokies FSU opening day on Labor Day of 2018 at Lane Stadium. Uh, no, in Tallahassee. No, Tallahassee. Okay, Dope I should, Walker. I should have read the release. Uh, no, uh, I mean, you, you kind of uh, you had the news. And then we got the official release today uh, that it would be on that Monday and not uh, not Saturday or Sunday. Uh, your thoughts on such a high-profile opener for the Hokies uh, next year? Well, it sounds like Virginia Tech didn't exactly have much choice. It was an ESPN-mandated thing. Uh, obviously, ESPN and the ACC have that contract for the Labor Day night game, uh, so they always want to put a marquee matchup uh, in that time slot. And uh, you know, for the two programs that I, I think have won eight, ACC titles since expansion, uh, going back that far or since the ACC title game was instituted. Uh, that's a pretty marquee matchup there for the opening weekend. Uh, I know Clemson is, is riding high right now in the national championship, but the, those are two really uh, you know, stalwart programs, the two divisions there facing off, and they don't play every year. So you know the fact that six years in between the matchups, I think they really wanted to highlight that game and uh, put it there on the Labor Day night game. I mean, historically, those two schools, I think, have three of the highest-rated the three of the top five highest-rated Labor Day night games on ESPN. So that, that's a pretty good matchup to be having. And the top spot was Virginia Tech, Ohio State a couple year, years ago, which was 10-plus million viewers at that game. So, uh, you know, I think you're probably catching Virginia Tech on an upswing again as a program. I, mean, I think you can debate this year whether it's going to be uh, a slight step backward or not. But I think two years from now uh, to open the 2018 season that the, the program – will be in pretty good shape, and, and Justin Fuente will have a good foothold established in the program moving in the right direction uh, at that point. Uh, Florida State's just kind of chugging along as a, a national power right now, and uh, you know that's what you want right away for your conference is to have a sort of showcase game like that. And, uh, you know, somebody, Andre Adelson, ESPN, pointed this out, that uh, that opening weekend, Louisville at Alabama in Orlando, uh, later that Saturday, not later, but on that Saturday as well, uh, Miami versus LSU in Arlington, and then Virginia Tech, Florida State. I mean, you've got three of the, the top programs in uh, the conference playing really huge games in that opening weekend. It's, it's a real good chance for the ACC to put its best foot forward. Yeah, what is, you said six years between meetings, but 12 years between visits to Tallahassee, right? Yeah, it's, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. I've written about it numerous times. I have a great no-division model that would work this out, but uh, nobody wants to do that, apparently. When did you post this no-division model? 
couple years ago. I think I, I think I was one of the first to post that. I know other people have done this, you know, the three fixed rivals, five rotating, no divisions, and you get through everybody in a home and home in four years. Uh, it's probably not. I probably wasn't the first to do it, but I, I think I was one of the first to publish something about it. I'm sure message borders had mentioned something about that long ago, but. Uh, they're never going to do it, so it's a pipe dream, but it would at least solve this problem that you seem to never play people in your own conference uh, ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they play East Carolina eight times as many eight, as many times as they do Florida State or Clemson. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, if you're only going there once every 12 years, though, this is the way to do it. Uh, I'm a little disappointed it's not later in the in the fall where you're, you're kind of eager for some warm weather and uh because it'll already it'll still be warm here when we go down there but uh, it's always fun to visit tallahassee tallahassee's not as good as miami but in terms of fun for the writer but it's it's fun i think i've been to tallahassee twice two or three times to cover games and it's a weird like you don't have to drive many more than like two miles to get into the swamp oh. <laughs> like you don't have to get very far away from the city center of Tallahassee before it's just like, oh, I'm in the backwoods of Florida here. Like this is not the, the biggest town here, but uh, it is an interesting environment, uh, big stadium. Uh, the games I've covered there, I think one of them was a, a Saturday night game with uh, Virginia. That was pretty well attended. I think I've been to a game there where it was an early morning affair and the student section was pretty late arriving. <laughs> when, when that section is late arriving, it is very empty looking in that big of a stadium. But uh, it'll be interesting to go down there and see the Hokies play Florida State because, like you said, it's such a rare occasion. Uh, I think the concern from Virginia Tech's side, I think maybe this is why you know, the, the source I had spoken to yesterday said it, it wasn't quite finalized on, as a Monday night game. Uh, today we find out it is a Monday night game that has been finalized. Was uh, From Virginia Tech's perspective, you play a road game on a Monday night. Uh, you're not going to get back until early morning hours of Tuesday. Tuesday is pretty much a wash at the, that point because you're exhausted from the game, uh, and you have a game the following Saturday. This is sort of the same uh, thing that they encountered when they played Boise State at FedEx, and everybody knows the result that happened after that. And that, that wasn't just because they played on Monday night. I mean, obviously they were devastated by that loss, didn't prepare properly for James Madison, and then James Madison took it to them. So you have to hand it, uh, give some credit to the Dukes in, in, in that sense. But, uh, you know... <laughs> I, th- I think that's the concern is you play a road game like this, uh, you fly back, and how much time you're really going to have to prepare for the next game. I know it's William & Mary, but it's uh, you know Virginia Tech has that history that they can always point to and go, it's tough to turn around and play in five days like that. Yeah, and there were, I guess there was other Labor Day-related news this week, too. I saw you tweet that, what, they're canceling classes uh, this year on the Labor Day Monday, and now it's a, now it's a holiday for the university. Is that correct? Going forward, it's going to be like that. It's not just next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's going to be like that uh, in all years going, uh, coming ahead. So it, it, that was kind of strange. We had talked about that on the podcast. I thought that was kind of strange that uh, Virginia Tech students did not have Labor Day off since it's a national holiday. But uh, now it seems to make a lot more sense that it's in line with everything. And I think that allows some – uh, flexibility, honestly, with uh, some scheduling with football, that now you can put a game on a Labor Day night, and I know it's difficult travel-wise to get back, but it's not like you have to skip class that Monday to go to a game. So, uh, from that perspective, it's, it's probably a good idea. Where would you rank Labor Day? I know we both work on Labor Day almost every year, but where would you rank Labor Day on your list of holidays? I, I'd put it pretty high up. I mean, you get the college football, you're heading into a nice time of year of, of fall, and there's a ton of great sports uh, going on with college football, NFL, baseball playoffs. 
I love Labor Day. I love the idea of Labor Day. Is Labor Day a big deal to you? Not really, because I'm always working on it. I mean, if, if Virginia Tech is not playing a game that day, they still have a press conference that day. So uh, I've never really been able to enjoy the fact that it's like, oh, it's a barbecue day. Let's all go out and you know grill some stuff up. I think there are other – Memorial Day, I think, is more like that for me. That, uh, that's a day where I'm like, oh, there's baseball on all day, and they're all wearing the patriotic hats and whatever. I think that's more uh, interesting for me. Labor Day I, – I feel like Labor Day was almost kind of a depressing holiday in a way. Because it's like, oh, this is the end of summer. And, you know, when you're going to school, it's like, oh, well, school's started now. Summer's over and all that time off. So maybe I don't hold it in as high of a regard as, as other people do in that sense. Yeah, I think if we got in other lines of work, uh, we would probably... Like Laborers, people that labor for their... Yes. Uh, okay, let's get to the quarterbacks now. Cause we were both there, and this is actually the first time I've had an opportunity to go down and, and do anything... Um, press conference-wise with, with spring practice. So I was happy that I was able to be there. Um, we met all three quarterbacks. You had met Josh Jackson previously uh, last August. But let's just get your, your first impressions of, of what the, what that event was like. I mean, it was a long-awaited event for us. We wanted to get that opportunity, and they gave us that opportunity. What did you take out of it? Yeah, I think it was interesting finally talking to A.J. Bush and Hendon Hooker just – you know, you don't really get a good sense about a person who you talk to him a little bit. I know it's such a uh, uh, sterilized environment where they're standing at a podium and we're asking questions. It's not like you're having a beer with them or something like that. But uh, I think it gives you a little bit of sense of them and, and what they're where they're coming from. Uh, I will say coming into this, I, I kind of had the thought that it was Josh Jackson, then Bush, and then Hooker in, in that order and, and probably sort of a solidified order. I, I think I would raise A.J. Bush's chances a bit. Uh, after talking to him and kind of hearing, uh, just he seemed like a very well-spoken uh, kind of a leader on the team. I don't know if you can judge his leadership qualities just from how he spoke in the, in the room, but uh, you know, I talked to his uh, private quarterback coach, uh, Dennis Guile, today or, or yesterday, in fact, for a story I'm doing, and uh, he said that he just has one of the most upbeat attitudes, uh, just a very positive guy, never had a bad day type of person, and. When you hear all that stuff and you hear uh, about his situation at junior college, and I think a lot of people, myself included, judged his chances in this race based on how he did in junior college. You go, well, he had awful stats at Iowa Western Community College. How could this guy possibly step in and win the job? Especially a year after Gerard Evans comes in as a record-setting junior college quarterback who put up just these video game numbers in Texas. Uh, As it turns out, A.J. Bush didn't get to Iowa Western until the day before their first practice or first game scrimmage whatever you want to call it for the junior colleges uh so the fact that he even played uh you know that's a school that had a returning starter a quarterback and they still found a way for aj to get on the field uh even though he didn't have a, a full grasp of the knowledge and stuff like that i think that can explain a little bit why uh his junior college stats were so bad but uh, you know, talking to dennis guile his quarterback coach and obviously he's a, a booster for for aj he's not going to speak ill of him and he's going to talk very highly of his own uh, uh, student like that, but he thinks that he's got a great shot at winning the job and has the kind of skill set that can translate well to this kind of level. I agree with you about Bush. You know, when you when you kind of think about these guys in the abstract, you look at them as, well, Jackson's been here a year, and here are two other guys who have not been here who are, who are now here um, with very little accomplishments at the college level. Of course, Hooker has none because he's, he's new to college. But you, you listen to both of those guys. You listen to Bush and you listen to Hooker. At least I did. 
And I said, wow, you know, Bush is clearly three years farther along in his whole process than, than Hooker is. That doesn't mean Hooker can't work his way into the competition. But I left there thinking this is between Bush and Jackson, with Jackson still having the edge. But, but Bush impressed me with sort of, you know, he has this life experience that, that, uh, that Hooker doesn't. You know, he's, he's failed. Um, he's swallowed his pride. He's gone to a, a, you know, a junior college and been told that to, if he wants socks, he's going to have to go to Dick's because they don't, <laughs> they don't give him socks uh, just, just willy-nilly there. Um, and, he, and he didn't have a, a, a bad attitude or regret about it, at least publicly to us. You know, he said, look, you know, these are all things that I think have put me in this position that I'm in now, which is a very good position. I mean, let's, let's face it, he's in a spot now where he's legitimately competing for the starting job at a, at a school that uh, made the ACC title game last year. You know, I think that's part of the reason why they pursued A.J. Bush in the offseason. But, you know, part of it was the timing. You know, they found out Gerard was going to the NFL pretty late in the process, I think. Uh, had the coaches had an inkling of that earlier, they would have been in the quarterback transfer market a lot earlier. I know Max Brown was the guy who went to Pittsburgh, and I think he had committed to Pittsburgh in early December. You wonder if, if they knew Gerard was going to, go somewhere else if they would have tried to get in on something like that a little bit sooner in the process. So part of it is just sort of the timing that, you know, A.J. Bush was a guy that was available. Uh, he was a guy that, uh, you know, they think fits the system pretty well. But also from uh, sort of a, a mindset standpoint, it was a guy who was hungry to come in and win a job like this. And, you know, I think Fuente spoke about it a lot of times. You know, they were looking for the right fit for this competition. And the fact that uh, AJ had not been a starter at his previous stop and not been sort of this top flight uh, recruit when he was in high school. I think he was a two-star guy going to Nebraska. Uh, never really got on the field there. You know, I think you can read between the lines and the fact that he went to junior college kind of makes you tell, or makes you know that he didn't think he had a fair chance in that competition. Certainly with the coaching change, he committed to one staff. Mike Riley comes in with a new staff. So I, I I think he wanted a fresh start. I think uh, he's a hard worker that wants to go for the job, and you know that's what Fuente wanted, and that's somebody that's fit well in the room. Something that struck me about both of the newcomers, I mean, Bush and Hooker are very – I mean, you see the numbers on the page, you know, 6'4", 215, or whatever they are. I think Hooker's listed at, like, 196. But uh, And he looks, he looks kind of, you know, like he has ability to fill out. He's projectable, but – they're both physically impressive. I mean, what's going on with these monsters that have been coming through the Virginia Tech quarterback room? I mean, Logan Thomas, freak, uh, Gerard Evans, no, no small man. Uh, is that is that the prototype now? Uh, I, mean, I guess everybody wants a six foot four athlete who can play, but uh, you know, Jackson's not that. I mean, he's six one two ten. He looks more like Michael Brewer, maybe a, a stronger version of Michael Brewer. And uh, he does either of those other guys. But were you impressed physically with those two when they walked in the room? Yeah, I was. And, you know, I think one thing about uh, A.J. Bush is he's a lot thicker than I thought he was. I mean, he's like 214, 220, something like that. And, you know, that's obviously 20 pounds heavier than what Hooker was. And you're right. Hooker looked very much like a freshman, uh, like somebody who needs a a year in the cafeterias and and the weight room before he's uh, really going to be able to go out there and, uh, you know, hang physically with a Division I defense. Uh, but, you know, that's just sort of the style of quarterbacks these days. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Logan previously. Well, Bucky Hodges was recruited as a quarterback. He was basically a Logan clone in terms of, of uh, you know, body type. Uh, Dwayne Lawson didn't stick around here. He was another guy that was 6'5", 6'6", a uh, real big player like that. I mean, I think that's just sort of the way 
the game is gone. I'm trying to think of the. Paxton Lynch, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. You know, quarterbacks have always sort of been big like that. I'm trying to think of like sort of the dual threat guy that you know Michael Vick obviously wasn't tall like that. I think of somebody like Vince Young, but he was like a six four, six five guy, uh, maybe even taller than that. Uh, you know, real good runner, real good athlete like that. So I, I think they're just uh, the more you see these colleges go to this sort of you know, dual threat, run pass option type offense. They got to find somebody that not only can throw the ball, but is a big enough athlete that they can uh, sustain a big part of the running game or take on a, a big part of the running game and uh, not get broken in half when a defense comes up and hits them. And one way to do that, I guess, is to have your quarterback be one of the biggest guys on the field. Well, and that leads us to one of the questions at the press conference. Was, uh, Norm Wood had done some research, I guess, him and David Teal. Well, he was asking the question on David Teal's behalf, and Teal had to take a phone call. That he, I think he was doing a story on Malcolm Brogdon, who happened to call him back right in the middle of that press conference. So the burden fell to Norm to ask this question. And the question was something along the lines of, you know, since 2008, you haven't had a quarterback miss any significant time in, in your coaching career. Uh, the look on Fuente's face yeah. when he said that was just, like, incredulous. <laughs> He's just like, are you kidding? You're actually bringing this up? And uh, you know, to defend Norm here, I mean, there's nothing wrong with bringing it up. It's no. not, not like the quarterbacks are going to get injured at this point because he mentioned that, uh, as superstitious as these Virginia Tech coaches are. Uh, I guess they just don't like talking about it or jinxing themselves in that sense. But uh, I guess Fuente will be jumping over cracks on the sidewalk and stuff, not <laughs> avoiding ladders to walk under if he can just to, to keep the string of health going at his quarterbacks. Yeah, and he didn't give any answer at all. But, that, but your postulate postulation, whatever the word is there. I mean, that that bringing in big guys uh, who are durable uh, might have something to do with it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know I know you weren't exactly connecting the two, but uh, if, if he's had good health at his position over the years, that might be part of it. I think it could be part of it. Uh, you know, obviously, if you're a 240-pound guy, you can absorb a hit a lot better uh, than a 190-pound quarterback. Uh, I think the other part of it is just sort of physics, <laughs> you know, Michael Brewer separated his shoulder because a 300-pound lineman landed on him at the right angle. Like, I don't care how big you are. If that happens, it's still going to separate your shoulder. Or if uh, somebody hits your knee at an awkward angle, you know, you could be 250 pounds, but your knees are still pretty vulnerable in that situation. So I I think there is a certain degree of luck in this whole thing that uh, they've just been fortunate not to get hit by that injury bug. Yeah. How about Logan against UCLA? Right, yeah. I mean, that was, you know... You're not. It doesn't matter how big you are. Sometimes just freak things are going to happen on the football field. Freak things that are, you know, a targeting penalty that didn't get called. Right. <laughs> Still kind of astounded to this day how that didn't get a targeting penalty. I think Logan was too. I think you saw him at halftime of that game walking up the field, going to the refs like, "What the heck, man? <laughs> <laughs> like, if that's not targeting, what is targeting? Like, I don't understand it. Like, for something to knock me out of the game as a six-six, two hundred fifty-pound quarterback, that has to be targeting. Is there any more debated penalty than targeting? I mean, when you tweet that, that was a target, you're going to get Oh, yeah, I caught it. I caught it in the belt ball. I'm like, oh, that's definitely targeting on Terrell Edmonds. He's going to be ejected. And then he wasn't. And people were like, maybe let the officials call the game. I'm like, for God's sake, just relax, people. Twitter, Twitter is just the worst sometimes, the absolute worst. Uh, but, yeah, it's a confusing penalty because, you know, first of all, it's such a slight difference between what is targeting and what isn't. And second of all, the way the rule is written, everybody misinterprets what it is. Uh so, you know, you see a hard hit, and I think the, the instant thought is that's targeting because they hit him really hard. Yeah. And sometimes it's tough to, to figure out what is and what isn't. 
Uh, I know there was one on Sean Hewell's camp a couple years ago at ECU where it's like, really? That I mean, he just like – he basically touched the quarterback down as he was sliding, and they called targeting on that one. Uh, I don't quite understand that, but, you know, that's the rule, and they're going to err on the side of caution, I guess. Uh, and it'll continue to be a, a very misinterpreted rule over the years, I guess. Well, and then you get the whole, you know, I guess scenario where a, a player is coming in with his head up and lowers his head. And yeah, that's the, the part that's tough, too. And it's like you're talking about a split-second reaction in 30 yards down the field to a receiver coming across the middle where when you launch yourself, I guess that would be the definition of targeting, you're launching yourself into somebody's head. But, you know, when you – go to hit somebody, you're aiming at a spot, then all of a sudden if it, a helmet comes into that, that becomes targeting. So uh, it's kind of unfair in some situations for defensive backs. I feel like they could they could change the rules. There's like egregious targeting and there's like accidental targeting. I don't know if the accidental targeting necessarily deserves an ejection. I think what they're trying to uh, legislate out of the game is the guys that come across the middle just you know head down, spearing the guy right under his chin. Uh, for the most part, you don't see a lot of those kind of hits in football these days. Well, back to the quarterbacks. Hooker, you know, there was a – I think the guy was from Greensboro. You know, a, a reporter from Greensboro had come down from his hometown and, and wanted to, you know, sort of do a story about his transition to the college game. And he reminded everyone in the room that the guy was – you know, Hooker was just playing college ba- or high school basketball just a couple weeks ago. I mean, right before he enrolled here. Um, you know – I walked out of there thinking, I just can't see a scenario, and we still haven't seen him practice or play, but I, I, I just can't see a scenario where he's the guy against West Virginia. Is there any scenario you can see, out barring injury, that he, is, he wins this job? I'd say it's a very low chance. And again, uh, we're saying this having not seen him on the field. Right. So that, that's really the ultimate indicator of how good of a quarterback he is. Uh, I will say it's very tough for a true freshman to go out there and win the job right away. Uh, the guys that, you know, freshmen who have succeeded in the past, you know, people are going to point, oh, Jameis Winston did it. Oh, Johnny Manziel did it. Sam Darnold did it last year for USC. Those were all redshirt freshmen. So they at least had a full year uh, it, of college to, to, you know, learn the offense and learn the ins and outs of college itself. Not, now you're talking about football. So uh, I, I think that makes it very difficult. I think the other side of it that makes it difficult is, uh, yeah, you've seen freshmen step in and play right away, true freshmen. Uh, I think late late in his first freshman, true freshman year, Lamar Jackson at Louisville really kind of took over. That's when he first started uh, coming on the scene there. I think it helps to have a supporting cast that allows somebody that inexperienced to thrive. Uh, for instance, I, I would say if Hendon Hooker was stepping into last year's offense where you have future NFLers around you and Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges, and you've got Sam Rogers in the backfield and a veteran right side of the line and with uh, Augie Conte and John McLaughlin, uh, you know, in addition to other guys like Cam Phillips and Wyatt Teller and all the you know, really good supporting cast around him, I think there's a better chance of that true freshman coming in and succeeding right away. But you, you've listened to Justin Fuente and, uh, you know, what's your biggest concern? The quarterback of the supporting cast, you'll say the supporting cast all the time. So uh, you need to have uh, an environment or a situation that that young quarterback is stepping into where they can succeed. And I don't necessarily know if Virginia Tech has that coming up this year, which is why I, I think I would give the edge to the older guys. And naturally, I would just because they're older. Uh, that's usually the case, but especially so in this situation. I have the impression that Fuente really likes Jackson. 
That was my – I'm reading the yeah, That's been my opinion from, yeah. uh, you know, when he first got you. I mean, that was the first recruit that he visited after getting the job. After being introduced as the head coach, the first recruiting trip he took was to fly up to Michigan and make sure that Josh Jackson was going to sign with him. Uh, so, you know, that shows you sort of I – mean, I know he's an early enrollee that year, and he's a quarterback, so obviously you prioritize that. But uh, I, I think, obviously, Fuente looked at the film and go, yeah, that's a guy that I think can contribute. Uh, and, and really, since he's gotten here, hasn't shown anything otherwise. I mean, it's briefly popping up in the conversation last August. I don't think that was accidental. Uh, I think he's a pretty good quarterback that's, uh, you know, given a shot, could be a, a productive player. Yeah, and, and he, Fuente was at the press conference, too, and he was given multiple opportunities to sort of pick Jackson apart, uh, you know, some weaknesses, you know, throw out those Algro lines, don't throw out the, don't get out the anointing oils just yet, all that stuff. And, he, you know, he, yeah, he said there's some things the guy needs to work on, but it didn't seem like he was all that overly concerned. I think that's part of the reason that their supporting cast is a bigger priority right now. I think he believes that he's got a guy there that uh, can go out there and, and perform right away for him. I think part of it is that I don't get from our, our brief talks with Josh Jackson that he's got this bravado about him no. that he needs to be taken down a notch or anything like that. And like, Oh, I think I'm the best already. I mean, <laughs> the guy is you know, the most striking thing. He talks to us all the time about is the lion King and how much he likes watching that. <laughs> I think he almost kind of makes fun of himself in that sense. I thought he was going to be sick of talking about that, but he brought it up like several times. He brought it up. <laughs> and then the great, the, the great little nugget that he adopted a dog and he named it Simba, which of, of course he named it Simba. Yeah. Uh, From the Roanoke Valley SPCA, where my wife is the veterinarian. Well, there you go. There's our connection. There we go. Uh, without my wife, there's no Simba. I'm going to get that. You should have. Did you get that in the story the other day? I didn't. No. Come on. But yeah, I think he's a guy that uh, you know just kind of has his head in the right place. He doesn't think he's a superstar already or anything like that. And I don't know if that comes from the fact that he's been around uh, college football his life. His dad, Fred Jackson, was the Michigan running backs coach, so maybe he just you know understands college football a little bit better than some people, or understands you know the kind of work that goes into it. Uh, but I think Fuente is sort of on the same wavelength from him, with him uh, in that sense. And, you know, maybe doesn't have to publicly take him down a notch as much as, as other people he might have to. Yeah, I was struck by how relaxed he was. You, you, you've talked about it before, but it, it is different being sort of this dark horse guy who gets into the competition late like he did last year and being the front runner for the job, which we all assume that he is. Um, I think he, you know, based on how you described him last year, I mean, he seems the same in both scenarios. So uh, I, I think he's in good position. And I'm really looking forward to the spring game. I, you know, there's spring games that I don't look forward to because there's not much to sort out. Or, But I think they've been pretty interesting in recent years, at least in terms of there's a lot of competition uh, that needs to be settled, and quarterback's certainly one of them this year. Yeah, I think spring games are always something that don't read too much into them. Right. You know, obviously they're set up a certain way, but there are some times where you can just see a guy that's going to stand out that you know is going to make a big impact. I remember one, you know, covering Virginia back in the day. I think Chris Long had like three sacks, you know, quote-unquote sacks, whatever counts for sacks in the spring game. And you go, oh, that guy's going to be a real factor at this point of his career. I, I think, especially with the focus that will be on the quarterbacks this, uh, this game, or this game coming up, uh, that'll be a real interesting thing to watch and uh, maybe a little bit more interesting than the standard spring game fair. All right, you got some more contract details. Uh, the assistants are getting a little bump, a little a little cheddar. Yeah, there's a uh, additional $167,000 to spend on assistant salaries. Uh, that's a $3.4 million initial pool. I think 
Virginia Tech spent close to all of that the first time. So it's a little bit more money they can spend there. There's also uh, bonus bonuses written in for guys that don't have it in their original letters of appointment. I think Bud Foster is the only one with a contract that actually has anything like that. But uh, if they win the ACC championship, it's $10,000 per coach. If they make it to the title game but lose, it's $5,000 per coach. So you know, those are just little things that, uh, you know, you see the contract extension. You go, oh, Fuente got a big boost. Well, he didn't really. I mean, he's making the same salary that he was set to make this year as it was. A little bit sweeter, uh, you know, bonuses possibly for performance. Uh, quicker escalators with his base salary and, and uh, retention bonus and stuff like that down the line. But part of it was he was looking out for his assistant coaches. And I think he, you know, he has a very strong bond with his assistant coaches. I think five of them came with him from Memphis. Uh, a bunch of them coached with him at Illinois State. I mean, these guys go, go back a ways. So uh, the fact that when he was uh, getting a, a sweetheart deal with Virginia Tech, the fact that he thought about his assistant coaches wanted to, to boost their salaries a little bit too, I think that tells you a little bit about his mindset and his approach to this whole thing. Yeah. Well, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, we, we do appreciate you, and you know that Khalil Pimpleton is our guy. Uh, <laughs> or my guy. I should say my guy. Aaron has claimed him as his guy. I... I I proposed that we had a Khalil Pimpleton minute today to discuss Khalil Pimpleton, and it was vetoed. We by have to, Andy. We'd have to come up with like a theme song. This is my thought. I'm not going to come up with a Khalil Pimpleton minute until a we've either spoken to him or b seen him actually practice on the field. So uh, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll pump the brakes on the uh, Pimpleton hype train just ever so briefly. I think he's going to be a big contributor on this team this year. Uh, but I would like to see him in person before we continue uh, to talk him up so much here. If he doesn't play in the spring game, I'm just going to shred Fuente <laughs> for, for 18 inches. Of just, just what is this guy doing? He's leaving the best talent in the world on the on the bench. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about this North Carolina thing. I don't think the debate should be whether or not it's uh, you know where people should go to the bathroom or anything like that. But anybody who saw the news this week, ESPN reported that the North Carolina lawmakers, some of them have proposed a bill that would uh, make it make North Carolina and NC State have to leave the ACC uh, if the ACC were to boycott them again because of their laws. <laughs> I wrote a little blog post about that today, basically looking at the change that, that, that this bill would have to go through and saying I don't even think it could make it to step five on this on this uh, chain that it would need. I don't but, think they can make it to step two, whatever the next step in this process well, is. As I noted in the blog, step one is like a bill is defines what a bill is. It says a bill, you know, is a is a proposed law. Anyone, any competent individual can can propose a bill. That's and, debatable. Uh, I know. I think point. that might derail it right there. But I mean, what bluster from this this lawmaker? And it, you know, when politics and sports collide, it happens a lot with stadiums and and other things. But when politics and sports collide, usually the politics politicians end up looking pretty dumb, uh, and I think this guy's looking pretty pretty dumb. Yeah, there's like there's like four or five, and you know, I'm probably underselling it. Probably a, a good deal more than that. Uh, North Carolina legislators that are just embarrassing the state on a whole. Uh, I think there was recently a, a proposal as well to, to ban same-sex marriage again, even though it's been ruled on by the highest court in the land. Uh, at this point, it's like just what are you, these regressive uh, bills that you keep putting out there? It's like 
Virginia looked like this bastion of progress relative to that. And I think Virginia's record is maybe not even as good as some other states. Well, we need there. to legalize gambling. That's that's well, what I am yeah, sure. that should be your number one priority. I just it's such a petty response to what the ACC did. I, I don't think this uh, guy, you know, uh, conferred with North Carolina or NC State. <laughs> I think those two schools are like, hold, wait, we're doing what now? What's what's going on in this situation? A, it will never gain any traction. Uh, it's not going to go anywhere. B, I mean, there's a Democratic uh, governor in the state now. He'd veto that in a heartbeat when he got there. And C, it's just, it's impractical to begin with. I mean, if you left the conference, you'd be voiding your media rights as it is. I mean, there'd be a whole legal challenge involved in this whole thing. How and a long mess. is that contract, the grant of rights? It's through a long, it's like 2025 or 2024, something like that. And that's why the proposal is toothless, even if it were to make it far in the, in the <laughs> General Assembly, just, because he says in there uh, that it, you know, no no later than the expiration of the grant of right. rights. It's, so, such, it's such a grandstanding deal. Yeah. And I guess uh, mission accomplished on his part, because here we are talking about it. I, right. I guess that's the only reason he brought it up, because he knows it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, so the fact that we're talking, it's just... It's such an idle threat. I mean, I feel like the, if the ACC really, like, it came to this, the ACC would be like, okay, have, see ya, have fun. Go join another conference. Like, North Carolina is the only uh, one of those two, I think, that would be really marketable just because of its basketball school. Uh, I guess, you know, the SEC maybe would want to take up one of those schools to get into the North Carolina market. I, I just, I can't see it if we're coming to fruition, so it's actually probably a waste of our time to even talk about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Swafford was asked about it at an event he was at yesterday, and he basically brushed how do, it off. How do you transcribe an eye roll? I'm sure that's <laughs> what he gave. It's like, in parentheses, Swafford eye rolls. <laughs> All right, Louis C.K., I need to know what's going on with this guy, because I, I texted you the other night. You act like he's some brand-new comic, like... This guy is coming out of nowhere. So he's been one of the no, you know, renowned stand-up comedians for the last decade. It's just like, somebody told me about this CK fellow that I should listen to here. Well, I've, I've tried him in the past, and I've not been overly impressed. And I, somebody said, well, watch his show. So I watched his show a couple episodes. And, eh, you can't watch the show to get an idea of what he is Well, I've seen his stand-up, too. And I, there was one joke that he made in one of his stand-ups where he was talking about being a parent, the difference between being a parent and before parent, parenthood and after it, like where he's like, I used to see a parent beat his kid or yell at his kid, and I was like, what, what mean parent that is? And now I'm like, what did that little bastard do to that parent? <laughs> and I can totally relate to that. That was funny. But and you and I agree on comedy on almost everything. I think like we love Chappelle, we love The Simpsons. Um, now I don't love Beverly Hills Ninja. First of all, it's Malibu's most wanted, and second of all, you've really oversold how much I thought it was a better than I thought movie, and you'll continue to, you know, express this lie till the end of time. Okay, I'm gonna let you be Louis C.K.'s attorney here. I, I he's got a new Netflix special, and I texted you the other night. And I said I'm gonna give this a shot, and if I don't like it, I'm just don't know what to do. And so I watched about ten minutes, and I was like, yeah, I, okay, I, I'm just not. It's not ha ha funny as Nelson. I guess I just don't understand your comedic taste then. If, if it's that's not that it's dirty. I mean, I, you know, it's always is. sunny in Philadelphia. It's dirty as dirty as all get out, and I love that show. I mean, it's it's among my top three probably. It's a great show. It's hilarious. Uh, I, I think it is a crutch. I think, you know, a lot of the F-bombs are a crutch for, but, you know, Chappelle's not clean, and he's hilarious. Uh, Chris Rock wasn't clean. He's hilarious. Uh, Eddie Murphy wasn't clean. He's He was hilarious until he became uh, Dr. Doolittle or whatever. But 
I'll be honest. I don't defend Louis C.K. Defend him. Honestly, I don't know what I need to say to defend him. I think he's hilarious and is one of the better stand-up comics there is around. And almost everybody seems to agree. I feel like you should. I know this is the I feel like you should have to defend your stance. Of I don't get it. It's not like we're talking about Garrison Keillor here or something like. Like, be more funny, TV. I don't like. I watch Louis C.K. stand up, and I think it's one of the funniest things every time. I haven't seen the new Netflix one, so I don't know what it's like. And I could understand maybe if you watch a show, because that wasn't really meant to be like a comedy series. Like, it had moments of his stand-up and comedy into it, but, I mean, there are some times where it's like, this is like a dramatic show at this point. I think it's sort of been reclassified as that, and all those award shows and stuff. And, you know, honestly, I don't like the show as much as I like his stand-up on stuff, but uh, as a stand-up comedian, I think he's hilarious. I, I, don't, I don't quite understand why you don't. Okay, so you're going to watch this special at some point, probably, right? Probably. When you get the time. Okay, um, what I'd like you to do is while you're watching, I'm going to take it, copious notes. No, on just this. mark down the times where you laughed out loud, like like the time on the special, and I'll go straight to that time, and I'll, I'll compare notes. No, but if you mention it specifically like that, then you're going to be, you know, like your preconceived notion is to to not do that. I wanted to like him last night or two nights ago, whenever it was. I really wanted to like. I him. I mean, he's no Brian Regan. Brian Regan's a, an idol of. I've interviewed Brian Regan. Louis C.K. Well. He was hilarious in the interview, too. Louis C.K. is a better comedian than Brian Regan. Oh, funnier. No, I don't agree. So now, I know most people agree we with should, you. <laughs> if this was the Levitard show, we'd go, put that on the poll. Put that <laughs> on the poll immediately. And I guarantee you C.K. would clobber Brian Regan in that poll. You think so? Yes. Okay. I, well, first of all, I think most people say, who is Brian Regan? And then second of all, I think C.K. would clobber. What do you think of David Spade? <laughs> Is he still doing stand-up? No, but generally, do you think he's funny? From time to time. I, 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 I haven't funny. really followed his career in the last 20 years, I'll be honest. <laughs> I thought it kind of peaked with Joe Dirt, did it not? What did you think of Joe Dirt? I actually thought that was kind of funny. pretty good, right? Yeah. You know, Tommy Boy and uh, oh, yeah, that, the, the that, weekend yeah. updates he used to do, the Hollywood Minutes on SNL, those yeah, were funny. I mean, we're talking 20 years ago, though. Right. This is not current Current movies. No, I agree. Tommy Boy, that was a funny movie. You know, probably mostly because of Chris Farley in that whole situation. But where were you going with that? <laughs> I'm trying to see if our sensibilities are similar on on some of these comedians because what makes you laugh is a very personal thing. And uh, I mean, I'm saying you know Homer Simpson probably made me laugh more than anybody else in history. I did like uh, Married with Children quite a bit. I love the slovenly father uh, figures. Then you should like Louis C.K. I guess. I guess. We'll, we'll get back. You, you watch this special. I will. I'll put this on your to-do list, and, and we'll, maybe you can, you can educate me. And I know I'm, I know I'm in the minority. So. I feel like you're just going like, you know, to get into your spot and be like, nope. This, yeah, I can't I'm move for my position. I'm open-minded, but I just wasn't, just wasn't doing it. All right, well, this will be a little bit shorter one today because we, we'll, we'll get back again together next week and preview the spring game. Does that sound good? Yeah, it's going to be the, you know, next week we'll record this after we actually get to see a bit of practice. Are you going to come out for that? I think, think I will, okay. yeah. I, I think I got a lot out of just being there. Um, it, it helps on the podcast. The interviews sure. next week, I don't think if we have interviews. I think last year they were we got to talk to Kenny Kane and Sam Rogers right after the scrimmage, but there was like a line forming of students that wanted to get autographs with them, so it's like – what would I rather do? Sign autographs for these adoring fans, or would I rather talk to the media here? So it was a very short 
uh, probably not too productive media session. Is but, this an actual scrimmage that they're going to do? You know, I think there are segments of uh, one versus one, but it's it's not like it's uh, okay. They're going to scrimmage offense versus defense here. It's it's a lot of drills and in and outs, and right. you know they're moving quick and rotating guys in and out really fast. So uh, it's maybe not as much as what you would think of a scrimmage under the old staff. It's just uh, a lot of moving <laughs> a lot of moving parts. I think that'll be the best way to describe it. Okay. Well, I know the Salem Red Sox are in town. I might be able to get somebody to cover for me that night and go down but if i don't then the next thing will then the next thing i see will be the spring game which is not far away uh it's about 10 days from now nine days i guess yeah next saturday a week from saturday so we'll get together before then and and get you all primed up for it and uh for andy bitter this is aaron mcfarland we'll talk to you next